Well, good morning and happy 4th of July. Uh, I'm sure I know the 4th of July has been on Sunday before. It just doesn't seem like it ever has. I don't know why that would be. But uh, here we are, 4th of July, and uh, celebrating, remembering the freedoms that we have as a country. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? It's one of those things that so easily we take for granted. And um, wow, that's one of those things that I think we need to be very careful about. But of course, as has been mentioned, even our freedom in Christ, which is a completely different subject, and yet, uh, what an amazing truth that is, to be free from sin, to know that we have been forgiven, we stand declared righteous before God, and uh, have the freedom to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ anywhere and any time. Uh, God would stir our hearts, and we want to talk about that this morning. Uh, you know, it was 1988 Olympics in Seoul. Many of you weren't even around then, and some of you will remember uh, if you were. But on September 24, 1988, uh, the 100-meters final, uh, the race that usually determines the fastest human in the world is how they kind of call that, and... Uh, it came down, it became probably, if not certainly one of, but if not the most infamous sporting moment in Olympic history. Um, a news article written, put on CNN, hero or villain, Ben Johnson and the dirtiest race in history. Some of you may not remember who Ben Johnson was or this you may have heard it, may hear about it now as the Olympics in Tokyo this summer, the end of July, beginning of August. And as Ben Johnson won, representing Canada, would win the race and set an Olympic and world record with the speed that he won that race in. And yet just 24 hours later, he would have to forfeit the gold medal the Olympic record, and the world record because he failed the drug test for steroids. And uh, as a result, Ben Johnson was disqualified before the world. He set world Olympic records, won the 100 meter, got the gold medal, and yet was disqualified. He broke the rules. He did not exercise discipline or self-control. He knew what the rules were, but he was disqualified. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 24 to 27. Last week, we took a look at verses 19 to 23. And as we look at 1 Corinthians 9, and if uh, you don't have a Bible and would like to use one under the chair in front of you, uh, should be a Bible there. You're welcome to use that, page 798. And uh, if you need a Bible and don't have one, that is our gift to you. Feel free to take it home with you. But in that Bible, page 798, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, as we look back to last week, we saw Paul's heart for winning the lost to Christ, winning people to Christ. He illustrated his heart, his desire for winning people, for saving some, as he said. 
by describing his own sacrifice, what he was willing to give up to reach lost people. That was the emphasis that we talked about, the the importance of sacrificing to reach people who do not know Jesus. In chapter 9, if you go back a few verses from verse 24 to verse 19, Paul said, I have made myself a slave to everyone. Paul was free. He was a Roman citizen. Not only was he free in Jesus Christ, but he was free as a citizen. But he said, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He willingly chose to be a slave to everyone. He sacrificed his freedoms so that he might win as many people as possible to Jesus Christ. Think about that. Willing to do whatever. Sacrifice the freedoms, the rights that he had to share Jesus with people who didn't know God. That was Paul's heart. And uh, then we go, uh, you know what, what, while I'm thinking about that, I brought to my mind in my study this week uh, a truth that I had come across years ago from Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. I'm not going to take the time to turn there. You can write that down and look at it later. Exodus chapter 21. You can read the whole chapter, but, but verses 2 to 6 really give the thought. And, and this was the uh, story or, or the account of, of the opportunity for a slave after he had served his master for six years. The master had to set him free. But that slave, if he would choose... To give up that freedom could stay with his master. If he, the Bible says, loved that master, he could choose to serve him forever. And if that was the case, he would take him before the council and they would take his ear and they would take an awl, a sharp pointed metal object and and pierce his ear, which was the indication that that slave had been set free but chosen to remain slave under his master think about that in a sense that's what Paul was saying he has become a slave to all people why because he wanted to serve his God he loved his God and he wanted to serve the Lord more as an act of love than an act of obedience. Sometimes we do what we do, we would say, well, because my parents say so, or the church says so, or my Bible says so, and and rightly so, we want to obey. And yet in that obedience, I think there's a principle taught that we want to choose to obey because of our love for God more than just because, well, you got to do it, so I guess I got to do it. Always reminds me, and you've heard me probably say before, I remember when we moved to Chicago and became youth pastor there, and, and our pastor um, and his wife had three boys. And when we got there, they were, they were older, and uh, yet he would tell the story of how on Sunday mornings as the pastor, they always knew they had to be out the door early and at the church before everybody else, and, and that's just what it was. And his boys would say, Dad, 
Do we have to go to church today? And he would always say to them, no, you get to, right? That's the difference from serving out of obligation, out of just a sense of obedience instead of because we love our God. And that's what Paul chose to do. Check that out in Exodus chapter 21, and uh, you'll see that. Paul in verse 22 said, I, be, I become all things to all people, all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. Verse 23, he says, I do all of this. What he had talked about, becoming to the Jews like a Jew, becoming to those under the law like those under the law, becoming to those without the law like those without the law, becoming to those weak. He became weak. Not as weak, but he became weak, he says. He did all that for the sake of the gospel, for the advancement of the truth of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to make us right before him. Last week I asked you if you were satisfied. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus, you will never know or experience real spiritual satisfaction if you're not winning people to Jesus. I didn't say you wouldn't be happy or somewhat satisfied, but you'll never know the degree of satisfaction that comes from winning people to Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. And if that's not a regular part of your life, an intentional reaching out to seeking to win people who need Jesus satisfaction will always be a degree or so lower than all that God could have it to be and you won't win people to Jesus if you're not willing to sacrifice your freedoms and your rights in order to do so to say, you know, like Paul, I'll do anything. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. That's what drove Paul. Was his concern and his burden to win people, to save some for the glory of God. Now, today we pick up right where we left off. We're going to move into verses 24 to 27 and and, and understand this, yes, winning people, saving some, as Paul said, requires sacrifice, but it also requires discipline. It also requires discipline. Discipline or self-control are the words depending on what translation you're using here this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 24, let me read through these verses. You follow along with me, please. Uh, as you read, as I read, do you not know, verse 24, do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Verse 24, Paul begins, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Of course they knew that. 
That's kind of a rhetorical question he's asking. Paul's talking to the Greek people. They knew all about running. They knew all about the games. They had the Olympic Games. I I mentioned earlier that this summer in Tokyo, they were supposed to be last summer, but we all know what happened there, right? But here we are, 2021, doing the 2020 Olympics. You can figure that one out. But in Tokyo this summer, that's what's going to be happening. And, and there's all kinds of events and at- athletic events in which countries from around the world will be competing. Well, that stuff started back in Greece. It started there, and, and they had the Olympic Games. But second only to the Olympic Games were the Isthmian Games. And the Isthmian Games were just a few short miles away from Corinth. So when Paul says, do you not know that, that in a race all the runners won, but only one gets the prize? Of course they knew that. He is referring to their knowledge. They, he knows they will know what he's talking about. Athletics were a big deal. They knew that there was only one r- winner in those races, in the competition. And there were only five or six competition events at that point in the Isthmian Games, but they knew for every one of them there was only one winner declared. Now, Paul is not talking about Christians competing against each other in some kind of a form to win God's favor or win the prize. First of all, the only way we get God's favor is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are sinners. We're born that way. And we will die that way unless we come to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Unless we believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place for our sins. To provide forgiveness so that we can be declared right before God. Our sin taken away, a guarantee of eternal life. Now that's the way we gain the favor of God. Paul is not talking here about Christians in any way, shape, or form competing against one another, even as those who are saved, to do better, to gain some higher favor with God. That's not what he's talking about. He's not saying that only one believer will ultimately get the prize. But he's saying run to win. Run to win. That's kind of a cliche at times that you may see used. uh, Sometimes it can be a youth group theme. It can be a camp theme or whatever. Run to win. But it's a great truth. Paul is saying, as he says, run in such a way as to get the prize. Yes, in a normal athletic competition, only one wins. There's only one gold medal winner. Now, yes, there are silver and bronze. They didn't have that back here. But he's saying this idea that, yes, you run in such a way as to get the prize. You need to give it everything you've got as if there was only one winner. Give it everything you got, not as if everybody gets a trophy, like sometimes happens these days. Right? No, he's saying you run as if there's only one prize and you want that prize more than anything. You go for it. You put forth a one prize effort. Now, what's the prize? You've got to be saying, well, what's the prize? I believe it's to win as many as possible, to save some. I believe Paul's saying, I want the prize. I want to be able to reach people for Christ. 
You follow the context right down and through from where we were last week, and yes, there's still a concern for sacrifice, no question about it, but I think the emphasis is on still seeking, doing what he can to win, challenging the Corinthian believers to do all they can to win people to Christ, win the prize of seeing people get saved. Verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Everyone who competes, that's a word. Everyone who strives, everyone who labors, everyone who agonizes in that competition, everyone who fights for the victory, who fights for that prize as if there was only one winner going to be declared. That's what he's talking about, competing. I hear people all the time say, oh man, is that person a competitor? Yesterday at the the memorial service for Bob and Joan Mallory, um, it, some of the family, the grandkids and the kids and others talked about how Bob was such a competitor. I think his wife was too, but it was he that stuck out that way and, and, and how even in playing the grandkids in ping pong, you know, he had to back off a little bit to let them win. But the competitor, and folks, we, th- we understand what it is to compete. Not everybody has that fight in them. But Paul is saying, we need to have that competition. We need to be competitors as it relates to winning people for Christ. As fans, we can be competitors. Not actually out there in the field, but right, we're always cheering for our team. And man, people get fierce, don't they? Fans get fierce. Just follow. It doesn't matter whether it's at the high school or younger levels, right? College, professional. I mean, there is just that fierceness of competition. Do you ever feel that way about the need to reach people for Christ? Not competing with other believers, but just that same spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. Run, agonize, so that you can win people to Jesus. And he says that's all, so that we can save some. And then he says, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. He exercises self-control. Some translations exercises self-control in all things. That's the strict training. Athletes had to sign, back here in the Isthmian games, athletes had to sign an oath an oath in which for a 10-month period of time prior to the games, they would follow very specific prescribed training regimens. They had to say, I will do this. I'll sign this oath for 10 months before the Isthmian Games take place. And then for the 30 days prior to the games, they had to be in town. They had to be there where the games were held, right there close to Corinth and Isthmia. They had to be there for 30 days. And every day of those 30 days before the games took place, they had to be in the gymnasium following a prescribed regimen of exercises every day for the 30 days just prior. Now, you talk about discipline. You talk about self-control. Wow. See, that's what Paul is talking about. He's not saying, folks, please get this in the context. He's not saying that, okay, we need to exercise some discipline. Okay, we need to read our Bible every day. We need to pray every day. We need to make sure that we're in church every week. We need, and all that stuff is good and necessary. He's not saying don't do that. 
but that's not what he's using. He's using the illustration of the, the discipline, the self-control that athletes use in the games. And he's talking about that being true of us in our pursuit of people who need Jesus. You see, there's not a person here who doesn't understand the need for discipline in anything you want to be good at. I look out over the auditorium here and I see a number of you who are golfers. And then there's like those of us who, like me, just play golf. You know the difference? Those of you who are golfers do, right? <laughs> it's like, and, and, and you know it takes discipline. Uh, for, for those of you who, whose kids are in uh, uh, elementary level sports um, who are moving up through high school and then into college you know that it takes discipline how about musical instruments it takes discipline to practice we have musicians here in the auditorium you didn't get to that point none of the people here on this auditorium that are musical got to that point by just waking up every morning and oh I think I'll pick up the guitar today or I think I'll sit at the drums or I think I'll try my voice it takes discipline to learn. Those of you students, those of you who were students, I think that's everybody in here, right? You didn't do well or not so well. In, well, let me say you didn't do well in class. You didn't test well or you didn't do well on the SATs or the ACTs or whatever else you, unless you disciplined yourself to what? Study. Why do we think that as it relates to our walk with God and reaching people who need Jesus, that it also doesn't take self-control and discipline? That's what Paul is saying. It has to do with making choices and priorities. Scott just shared with you, we're having next Friday night our second family movie night. That is not just for you to bring your family to a, a nice event and watch a movie and have free popcorn or whatever we, uh, uh, I don't know what we're doing this time, cotton candy I know we did and, and, and the bounce house and that's great. We want our people to have a good time but folks we're doing that because we want to expose our neighbors to our people and maybe even to the gospel. No, it's not a gospel film. Last time I checked, Star Wars doesn't have any, any significance as it relates to telling us about God. But it's just to come and have a good time and get to know God's people. But you may have to give up your free Friday night. You may have to give up a few moments of your time to go and talk to your neighbor, to build a relationship with your neighbor, to get to know your neighbor. You may not like your neighbor, but you got to figure that out, right? That's what we're talking. Paul is saying we got to make some choices and priorities. We've got to be willing to exercise some self-control for athletes, right? They can't spend every night at Manning's because if they're filling themselves with ice cream every night, they're not going to be much good in any sport they play. It's just not going to happen. For a musician, they can't waste, take all their time watching television for four or five hours every night. They've got to be practicing whatever that musical instrument is. It takes discipline. It takes self-control. It takes setting priorities. Rosario's Pizza will not get, in the 100-meter finals, the title fastest man in the world. It won't happen. 
You can't just stay up as late as you want every night of the week and think that you're going to be okay. It doesn't work. I was talking with one of the one of the employees down at Brown's Gym and just asking him, he's going to a weightlifting competition out in San Diego. And I said, so what's all the training involved? What do you have to do? And he'd say, well, he's got it down to three most important things. Sleep, water, and diet. I'm like, whoa, really? And, and he's telling me about all of this stuff. And, and if he wants to succeed in that lifting competition, He's got to work it. He's got to have the right diet. He's got to get the right amount of sleep because if he doesn't, his body doesn't recover. And of course, he's got to have water. His water in the body, it's got to work that way. And they know how to do it. I mean, he's got the science down. Folks, have you ever thought about knowing what the Bible says about how we reach people who don't know Jesus? That's the kind of discipline that Paul's talking about. And then he goes on and he says, there in verse 25, he says, they do it to get a crown that will not last. We do it to get a crown that will last forever. He's making a real simple point. You realize all the effort that is expended on a human level, purely human level in the athletic event to simply win a prize of a, at that time, it was a pine wreath that they put on their heads. You know how long that would last? Just imagine if you still get a live Christmas tree every year, right? How long does that last? Sometimes the needles are gone in, in a week or two, right? Well, that pine wreath, is, and, and, and it's going to, he says, it's going to perish. It's going to not last. It's going to go away. He said, but when we serve, when we seek to win the prize, when we run to win, he said, we get a lasting crown, an imperishable crown, a crown that will not fade away. Because God gives that crown. It will require discipline to get the prize, folks. It will require discipline to gain a lasting crown. It will require discipline to reach people for Christ. Verse 26, therefore, because of all of that, because we're after a crown that lasts forever, I don't run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. Run with purpose, he's saying. Run with a goal in mind. You don't get out on the track and just wander aimlessly whatever direction you want. You don't weave back and forth and then turn around and go the other direction. And, and fit. No, you know where the, when you're in a race and you're running around the track, you know where the finish line is. You run to the finish line. You're not wandering aimlessly. You're running with purpose. You're not out there half-heartedly. Well, some may be. But you're running with everything you have. Why? Paul's emphasis is to win as many as possible. He says you fight with purpose and discipline. Some would say that this is shadow boxing, and it could very well be, except the problem is, is, is real. I think it's more having to do with you're not fighting as an untrained fighter who gets in the ring and just swings wildly. Oh, he may have the biggest arms and the shoulders and the longest reach, but if he hasn't been disciplining himself to, to just go after hitting his opponent and just start swinging wildly. You ever heard somebody talk about a, a fighter and they punch themselves out? What they mean by that is they, they swing wildly and miss so many times there, get worn out, missing the target. Paul says, no, we fight with purpose and discipline. 
You're not just out there to hit the air. We're out there to hit our opponent. And we've got a job to do to reach people for Christ. He says, verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. Literally, he says, I strike a blow to my body. He says, I blacken my eye. Now, he's not actually calling each of us to give ourselves a black eye. I had one of those a, a couple of months ago. <laughs> I'll have to tell you about that at another time, but I missed the bottom stairs at my daughter's house and right into the doorway, black eye. But that's not what Paul's talking about, hitting yourself. He's saying, he's, you, you put forth the discipline. He says, strict discipline. I discipline my body and make it my slave. I keep it under my control. Now, this isn't discipline for discipline's sake. This is discipline for the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Folks, think of what we do for our bodies. Paul says, I strike a blow to my body. He's saying, I discipline my body. Why does he say my body? What about my mind? What about my heart? What about my spirit? He says, I discipline my body. I strike a blow to my body. Why? Because you think about what we do to take care of our bodies. Just about everything. Why do you eat? Well, it's fuel. I need to live. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It's true. But most of us probably eat more than we need to, right? How about clothes? Because we want the body to look nice, right? And, and, and we spend money on shoes. It's like, wow, how many sh pairs of shoes do we need? It's like, man, but we, but we want to look good or we want to feel good, right? Or we, we have our homes, housing, shelter, and we spend all kinds of money on our homes and there's nothing wrong with these things in and of themselves. I'm saying, but think of it, we do that so that we're comfortable, so that our body feels good. Our cars, we want our body to feel good going from point A to point B. And we could go on, folks. We sleep, why do we sleep? We love to sleep. We don't always get as much as we should but we like to sleep why we need to sleep because we're taking care of our bodies and again all these things are good they're okay in and of themselves they're not wrong but when they become the focus of our lives that's what Paul is saying I beat my body I discipline my body I make it my slave I put it under my control why so that I might win some, so that I might save some, so that I may reach as many as possible. Then he goes on and he says, I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I will not be disqualified for the prize. When he says, after I have preached to others, the word there that he's talking about is having to do with uh, he's heralded the gospel. 
He's proclaimed. He's announced it publicly, loudly. And the herald at the games, at the Olympic games, at the Isthmian games, the herald was the one who called the competitors, the athletes together and gave them the rules for that particular event. So he announced to them what the rules for that event were. And Paul is saying, I don't want to be the one who calls everybody together, who announces the rules for the competition, and then gets in the competition and breaks the rules. I don't want to be the person who does that. That's what Paul was doing. He's saying, I'm preaching the gospel. I don't be the one who preaches the gospel and then not live by the gospel. Because I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. He's talking about not being able to finish the race. He's talking about the need to win the prize. If you're going to win the prize, you've got to stay in the race. And if you're going to stay in the race, you've got to compete by the rules. Ben Johnson didn't compete by the rules. Just in the, Olympic, the United States Olympic trials last week, I, I read of somebody, uh, a, a woman who, who was running for the U.S., she's trying to make the team, won the race, but was disqualified because she'd been smoking dope. And it doesn't matter whether, why she did it or what, she's disqualified. She broke the rules. Paul's saying, I don't want to be knocked out of the race. I don't want to be disqualified. I want to, I want to be out there. I want to finish the race. I want to get the prize. I want to reach people. For Christ. Look at Paul says, let me go back a bit. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, because you talk about the kind of self control, you talk about the kind of discipline, you talk about the kind of sacrifice that Paul was willing to endure to reach people for Christ. Look at what he says. This may be somewhat familiar to you. If not, write it down so you have it. Write down 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 23 to 28. You can read the whole chapter to get the context, but I'm just going to look at those couple of verses. Paul says he's talking about who he is as as an apostle and what God's called him to do. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. He says, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Talked about that last week. Verse 25, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. That's an interesting thought. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst. I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Say, what is this guy, a psycho? What is wrong with him? Are you kidding There's none of us for the cause of Christ that have been through even half of that. And yet Paul says, I do that all 
for the sake of the gospel. I sacrifice my time, my resources, my energy, my whatever, that I might win some, that I might save as many as possible. That's Paul's burden. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I finished the race. There were some believers in Corinth, chapter 11, we'll get there. Chapter 11, those who abused the Lord's Supper, and the Bible says that God took their life. God took them home. God took them to heaven because as individuals, they sin before God. God says, I'm dealing with you. I'm taking you to heaven. Sin unto death. I believe that's what that is. They didn't get to finish the race. They didn't get to reach more people for Jesus. Paul says, I don't want to be disqualified. I want to finish the race. I want to keep the faith. I want to fight the fight because people need Jesus. And I'm committed to do all of that stuff I just read to you in 2 Corinthians 11. For one reason. Because Paul wants to share Jesus with as many people as possible. Folks, our mission statement, you know that we say it all the time. More people, more like Jesus. We exist as a church to make more people more like Jesus. We talk about how do we do that? We say, well, we will grow up in our relationship with God. We will grow out in our relationship with one another. Excuse me. Grow deep in our relationship with one another. Deep friendships. And thirdly, he says, we'll grow out in our relationship with the world. Growing out, what's that mean? We get outside of ourselves. We don't get in focus. We don't keep looking at ourselves. I talked about that last week. That's, part, that's kind of where the churches all across our country are. We're so in focus because of what we've just come through. We've got to be looking out anyway. Looking outside. Build a relationship with people in this world. Why? So they can come to know Christ. And how do we do that? We do that by what we say our outreach strategy is PI squared. Pray, invest, invite. We say this. We pray by name for people without Jesus. I think they have pray, invest, invite. We pray by name, by name. It's not like God bless all the missionaries in the foreign fields like we used to pray. Or God bless all my neighbors. No, we pray by name for our neighbors, which means we've got to invest our time to get to know our neighbors because that's the second. We invest our time in people who don't know Jesus. We spend time. We sacrifice. We discipline ourselves. We exercise self-control when it comes to planning things, whatever it is we need to do to put an investment in people who need Jesus, not as projects, but because we have friendships, we've invested ourselves in the lives of people without Jesus so that we then can invite people to become followers of Jesus. Now, there may be some invite steps before we get to do that. It may be inviting them to the family movie night next Friday night. It may be inviting them into your home for coffee or maybe for dinner or having them out on your deck or your front wherever for a barbecue it may be what inviting them to church why would you do that so that they can see God's people in action 
so that they can be overwhelmed by the, by the love and concern of God's people for, for everyone. If you're a visitor here today, I hope that you were welcomed. I hope that people came up to you and said, hey, my name's so-and-so. Good to have you here. And, and who are you? And ultimately, we invite them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's talking about. Pray, invest, invite. Let me tell you an Olympic, one more Olympic story. 1968, the Olympics were in Mexico City. The men's marathon, 26.2 miles. It was getting dark. Most of the spectators were gone. It was an hour after the winner had crossed the finish line. And the marathon runs all whatever the course of 26.2 miles, and it ends up in the stadium. And, and the runners come in through the stadium and they take a lap around the track and that's how they finish. And this guy who was racing an hour after the winner had crossed the line, people were beginning to pack up. They were beginning to take the lights down and turn things off. Most of the spectators were gone. When John Stephen Aquari of Tanzania entered the stadium, he was limping. His leg was bandaged already. He could barely get there. He had a very slow pace, almost a walk, but as he entered the stadium and got onto the track to finish the race, to make that last lap around the track, he sped up just a little bit. It was an awesome demonstration. You can Google it and go back and see the video. An awesome demonstration of commitment, of inner strength, of self-control and discipline because he was going to complete that marathon. He later stated this, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me here 5,000 miles to finish the race and he finished the race are you willing to sacrifice are you willing to discipline your life to win as many as possible to save some some not all some That's the challenge that Paul gives here as he tells this Isthmian Games illustration and what he's willing to do to reach lost people. As we begin, enter into our communion service, remember Jesus died for us. He died in our place. He died for the forgiveness of our sin and he died to make us right before God. And as we partake of the bread and the cup, we do that to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And when we remember about our salvation, you see, even that is, we have to be very careful that it's just not about us. It ought to be a reminder to us that we have yet to proclaim Jesus Christ until he comes again. Paul says that in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 
And as we partake this morning, and as we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross, we can celebrate. We need to remember and we need to thank God for what he did in providing forgiveness of sin. He provided eternal life. But we also need to remember that that truth also applies to many people all around us, just here in Northeastern PA, let alone around the world, who still need Jesus Christ. And as we remember what Christ did for us, how can we not tell others? That's what Paul's saying. We've got to tell others. We've got to be that committed. We've got to be willing to sacrifice and discipline ourselves to share Jesus with as many as possible so as to win some to Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity as we begin to just simply in a couple of moments of silent prayer before God to examine your own heart. Paul talks about the need to examine our hearts to make sure that we as believers understand the, the truths that, that Paul shared. Yes, about the fact that Jesus died for us. He gave his life willingly, voluntarily, so that our sin could be forgiven, so that we could be made right with him. But we also need to then recognize that as members of the body, and that was the problem, and we'll get to that in, in whenever, <laughs> as we get to 1 Corinthians 11 and talk about the abuse, because part of the abuse was God's people abusing one another, people looking down on each other, not, not waiting for each other, and, and not being a body a church body kind of an event as they remembered Christ. And Paul says, man, it would have been better if you didn't even get together. Woo! Because they didn't really care about one another. That's too what we need to examine our hearts about. Is our love for the body all that it ought to be for the glory of God? Take a few moments and examine your heart. Ask God too, are you willing? Are you ready to declare Jesus to those who don't know him. Let's take some time in prayer. When, when, when we've taken that time, I'll pray and we'll give you the opportunity. Or, or let me just say on your own, when you're ready to go, on your own, make your way to the tables. We've got four tables, two in the back, one over here at the door, one over here, here and here at the front. Make your way, grab <laughs> Uh, one of the containers, they have both the bread and the cup, and then uh, be seated, and when we're ready, we will begin the communion service. So after you feel you've prepared your heart, you've talked to God, examined your heart, you make your way to get the cup, be seated, and then we'll get into our uh, service. Our deacons will be at the tables to hand you the cup, and we'll go from there. Let's, let's pray together.